this episode of Playtime, Behind the Words and Music, with Midwestern folk artist Pierce Krask. His latest collection, entitled Rising River, tells a truly American story. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. There ain't nothing to this wooden string If I can't make it ring Clear and true Words in my mind don't mean a thing If I don't have you to sing them too And even the moon in the sky so bright Couldn't shine its light Without the sun Without you to get me through the night Well, I'm just not right No, I'm a song unsung So your bio introduces you like this. Chicago-based singer-songwriter Pierce Krask, drawing from influences such as Towns Van Zandt, Steve Earle, John Prine, Bob Dylan, Greg Brown, and Chris Smither has been entertaining audiences professionally as a solo performer since 1999. I described your latest album as a tragic love story with a powerful narrative arc backed by really beautiful and strong melodies. Pierce Krask's solo album is Rising River. His website is piercekrask.com. That's Krask with a C. Uh, welcome to Playtime, man. Well, this, is, uh, this is an incredible pleasure. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. It's a really fine album. Oh, th thank you. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. To, you know, Ellis Clark, who produced it, was really yeah. kind of the the mastermind behind it. I I was fortunate enough just to come in and sit down and be able to play the songs. And and when we we tracked the songs originally, we just did them with Mark on the, on the stand-up bass and Heath on the drums. So we tracked everything, those basic tracks live. Wow. And then Elvis called in the other players, the pedals, uh, you know, Mike Conroy on the pedal steel and Brent on the percussion and so on and so forth uh -huh. and set up the arrangements and, and this, uh, the song sequence and everything. And Yeah. So I, I thought we could do this a little bit this way that we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that, uh, that collaboration between you and Mr. Clark here in a little bit, but I think I, I'm, I'm a big process person that, Everything in life is a process, and uh, and so I, I'd love to tell a little bit of your musical journey to that point, if that's all right with you. Oh, sure. Wonderful, wonderful. By the way, do you remember the first time that you stepped on stage? Yes. Hang on here. <laughs> all right. Hang on. In any case. Ooh. It's usually, and, and I, I, I did stand-up comedy for, for a couple of years, and that first moment on stage is usually usually and I, I i've been in combat it is usually the most traumatic experience of a person's life so um if, if that gives you a point of reference yes um <laughs> well you know now that you've talked about it this is going to turn into a therapy session isn't it we're going <laughs> to indeed it will well i i lydia lovelace uh was was a guest uh years ago 
on uh, on my radio program. And she she got done with the with the interview and said, "God, I feel like I was just at a therapist's office." Yeah, which is yeah, that's <laughs> not a bad thing. Um, well, the I think the first time, I mean, I'm going back to like when I was in a school play. Wow. And I was not really a a, a drama or a theater kid like in school, but mm -hmm. I think I was in the third grade, and I sang a solo in the in the school play. And it was horrible. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was it was a traumatic experience. <laughs> do, I, do you recall the first time that you ever got up to sing one of your own songs? Yeah, it was uh, in a bar. I, you know, I'd done so many bar gigs and whatnot. Yeah, sure. And I think it was in a bar in St. Louis, mm -hmm. in the suburbs of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Golly, it was... Uh, I think it was a Christmas song I'd written years ago that I've since dropped from the set list due to oh. trying to increase the uh, taste level of my performance overall <laughs> over my show. It was a very, very poor taste. <laughs> yeah, so that, and that was 25 was, years or so. Or, was was that the... So I, I'm guessing you had been on stage before that maybe with, uh, with bands doing covers. What was it that that clicked with you that that just sort of locked you into to performing i used to uh you know i've always well my dad was a, a classical musician not professionally but okay he yeah performed uh with a ecumenical choir okay and that was uh intriguing to me but the the regimentation of the classical music certainly wasn't uh but what, I guess what really got me into performing was I was working as a cook at a couple of different bars in my early 20s. I met a musician who played at both of these bars that I cooked at. And his name is Mark Mobeck. He kind of took me under his wing and showed me some stuff. And uh -huh. I thought, well, I'd certainly rather be out in the front of the house playing a guitar and singing than back here with the with the friars and the and the cleaning the grill, yeah, and that, <laughs> and, uh, and that kind of got me started on that. It, that's kind of what really pulled me into it. Is, is he's like, oh, you could do this, you know, you could, mm -hmm. you, you know, because we would hang out sometimes after after closing time, and and he's like, oh, you could do it, you know. And and at that point, I wasn't much of a musician, but he kind of coached me into like, you know, it's, it's kind of how you present yourself, and a lot of it's attitude, and you just getting over that hurdle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's backtrack a little bit, at least from this album, not from not from those the third grade class. Um, we're not going to go back too far in your life, uh, but uh, I, I want to touch on your minimalist blues infused country album. Uh, just you and the guitar, by the way, which by the way was really strong. Like the first Peter Case album, I never thought I, I, I never thought it was missing any other in instrumentation. I, I'm especially thinking of the toe tapping whale dangerous thoughts um but that debut solo album the road to milstadt in 2007 sort of sets this every man's search for connection and understanding am, am i am i reading too much into into the 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 literature nature of uh pierce Krask's 
albums and, and lyrics? Well, I just got used to feeling like I don't belong. Just got used to feeling like I don't belong. Just got used to feeling like I don't belong. Now suddenly everybody wants to hear me sing my song. Spend some time back in that old. So I think the uh, you know a listener can read into whatever they want. I think that's the beauty of uh, of songs and, and yeah, yeah yeah I think just like uh, you know the rest of us, I'm trying to you're searching for something right in the in the process indeed you know and and a connection and uh, just trying to trying to hit that uh, almost uh, that undefinable. Mm-hmm. That feeling that that spot you know the kind of thing you know it when you found it <laughs> yeah right. indeed um so so this is this is what i'm i'm going for is i think that maybe you carry an, an innate sense of of drama because a lot of artists seem to pace albums based upon tempo and mood and tonality and 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 all that I seem to find, uh, and maybe again, it's what I'm looking for, but I seem to find your pacing is is all about a woven narrative through your album. You know, yeah, I think that kind of happens. Organically? Almost, yeah, it just happens, uh, not accidentally was the word, but just by uh, incidentally, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Alice and really helped with... Uh, with this latest record, okay, uh, with the sequencing of the songs and whatnot, and you know, I was I was thinking about that as we were kind of a, as we were just talking about the yeah. the so the solo the one with Dangerous Girl on it. Uh -huh. The the uh, there's a song on that record that would have gone very well on this record, I think. The band, the brand new Cairo Blues, sounded great on this record as well. But um, I'm, I'm getting off track here. Oh, this one's 120 beats a minute. This one's 180 beats a minute. This one's right. 110 beats. We're, we're, I, we don't really, I didn't really think like that. Uh -huh. It's more just kind of, yeah, is this, is this flowing the way we want it to flow and, and telling, telling some kind of story? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it does. And, and I really feel that. And, and it, it comes out very strongly in this in this new album i want to talk to you about minute to midnight which really showcases your guitar prowess
which aside from, from a bit of harmonica um, in modern day Vietnam and Mama, um, I think you play uh, steel guitar and acoustic guitar in that, right? Yeah, wow, that's going, that's, you know, no one's ever discussed this uh, record before. That's, that's going way, way back. But Brother, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a travesty. It's a great record. Oh, I thank you very much. Man, uh, yeah, there's steel guitar and uh, acoustic guitar on there. We mm -hmm. overdubbed overdub this the steel on there the, the steel resonator guitar yeah it's 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 beautiful beautiful you stretch a little bit of those classic folk anti-war musical muscles in modern day vietnam but from a deeply personal point of view and, and from from an everyday uh an everyday joe point of view so you're, you're not taking really any political position other than just talking about sort of the the personal injustice that's done to to people like us who you know are on the bottom rungs uh, of society in the middle class maybe One, two, who three. are right in the crosshairs of of that that sort of thing and and you lay that out in a, in a really beautiful way with this song. I'm a long long way from my home. Don't know if I'll ever return When I signed on nobody told me I'd had to stand by and watch the world I burn Lately it's become plain to me Exactly what it is I am I'm just another Potential used to be In a modern day Vietnam Thank you very much. I'm trying to remember. Ooh, I'm trying to remember. Because <laughs> that was 2007, right? It was 2007. I should have talked to you 10 years ago, man. Oh, yeah. I should have moved to Chicago 15 years ago. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember I was playing at a place where uh, one of the servers, her her husband, I think, was was overseas at the time and was kind of relaying some stories to me. Yeah. And I was just kind of, I think I just used that as the character, used, used that as the inspiration for the character. Wow. And, wow. Yeah, and tried to, I, I try my best not to uh, preach. You don't. And, and it, it, comes, it comes across, again, like all of your music does, it comes across as this really everyday, everyday guy, this working, this working class, simple man perspective. Yeah, that's and that's. Uh, I'm I'm a simple guy, you know. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I like I like my guitars and my motorcycle and the, the <laughs> place. About it, but uh, yeah, I've I've. There's so many, so many literate songwriters out there that when and and I think of when I think of the people that I really like, even uh, you know when I think of if Chuck Berry, mm -hmm. you know. Hank Williams, uh, yeah. even Bob Dylan, 
the, the vagabond who's rapping at your door is standing in the clothes that you once wore. What a great image, what a great, you know, metaphor, what a great, but we didn't need 900 words to describe the, the vagabond and we didn't have to come up with a metaphor for rapping at your door. We didn't have to, you know, it was just, or Chuck Berry, I saw her around the corner when she turned and doubled back and started walking toward a coffee colored Cadillac, you know, just <laughs> kind of simple, you know. Yeah. Uh, today I passed you on the street and my heart fell at your feet. Like just kind of bam, bam and simple. Get to the point. Not. Yeah. You know, I try to I try my best to. Unlike when I'm giving interviews uh, <laughs> to, to not ramble and, you know, kind of like if the songs can kind of stay out of their own way and just move forward and get to the point. Well, we, we want you to ramble here a little bit because um, okay. we want to, we want to we hear some of the motivations and, and thoughts and, uh, and, and, and process uh, behind, behind these songs. Black Label, your 2008 follow-up to Road to Milstadt. <laughs> Black label, black label, you stole my youth away. Now all I have to call my own is a pile of wasted days. Fermentation, stagnation, and a cruel Black label, black label, you made me a disgrace. Black label, black label proves black that you label, don't need a lot of noise and fillers to make make songs, make full satisfying songs. And as you said, that economy of lyric, I think, is a huge strength and serves. Um, to highlight those deeply meaningful uh, full words, uh, I'd, I'd love some insight into where you were and what you were thinking about with that song because it it's actually it actually has a a darker note at least Black Label does start off that album than than Road to Milstead. So I got sober in two thousand three, okay, and I didn't really write anything up before that point because I kind of I was playing covers I was I had a couple songs here and there I wrote like novelty songs I haven't you know but certainly hadn't made a record and didn't have an album's worth of, of sincere songs and I was just wrote that one I was just kind of reflecting on my life before I got sober yeah about how it was just uh it was very dark, like my life at that point before I before I'd gotten sober was quite dark in this cycle of, you know, just one miserable event after another. And nice, beautiful the brooding uh, brooding album. And this was this is the narrative that I read through this as I was listening to to the album from uh, from beginning until end. Was Black Label is is pretty much is you know that that's pretty understandable for most people um the 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 motivation behind that song but then you kind of move through 
kind of a criminality that that the character faces up until the end and this could be it probably is a metaphor with mama this beautiful haunting tune where your character is led to the gallop cost of trading flesh for gold more than you could bear did you weep at your lover's grave knowing that you put her there were you the one my green-eyed son pinned a poison letter mama I think you know me better Mama, I think you know me better That song was actually based on a true event. Okay. So my, I had a friend in college, this is going to get weird, but this is a true story. Uh-huh. A friend in college, actually a very dear friend of mine, had a friend in Jefferson City who murdered his wife by poisoning her Gatorade with antifreeze. Holy cow. Yeah, and the uh, Jefferson City is a state capital in Missouri, and this guy, the murderer, was a uh, kind of a radio personality. And so it kind of made a little bit of news. And what, what was interesting about the story is he had told everyone he had gotten accepted to Harvard Business School. So he moved himself and his wife to uh, Boston because there was no death penalty there. <laughs> and then murdered his wife with poison Gatorade for, for the life insurance money and then came back to Jefferson City. Okay. And went back on the radio. And yeah, my friend had actually like knew this guy. Wow. And I knew him too, but they interviewed his mom and they said, well, do you think he did it? And, and she said, well, oh, no, I talked to him and he said, mama, you know me better than that. And I thought, oh, I'll use that for the kind of the refrain of the song. It's a great, great song. This, this is definitely from Black Label. Uh, you for a Day, which I, I thought was one of the more innovative folk songs that I've ever heard. You fade the vocals under the music, giving it the character of a memory or a lament. I'd love some thoughts about that song.
that's another one that no one's ever asked me about. Uh, that was, well, strangely enough, not strangely enough, but the engineer on that uh -huh. was a guy named Ben Rauscher. He also helped me produce the record. Okay. And he also did the the first one, The Road to Milstad. Mm -hmm. He was a um, senior at Webster University in St. Louis in their recording engineering program when we did the first one, when we did Road to Milstad. So we did it at Webster University's multi-million dollar studio. We had all access to all this stuff. And then this, then we did Black Label. We actually did it in his bedroom. Wow. Um, and yeah, and I, I did it sitting on his bed and everything <laughs> recorded through an SM58. So okay. like the guitar, everything is on an SM58. And I think we just had a little- It's a great sounding bedroom, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, <laughs> I think we just had, a, it was a little bit more of a looser kind of a thing. And, and we were able to, to kind of, to, to relax and kind of create a little bit, a uh, little bit more. It was cer certainly not as a uh, uh, clinical environment as yeah, a university. Yeah. And he, as I, that was another one where I kind of came in and and and, and played it. And then he started kind of twisting knobs or, or whatever on his, clicking his mouse on his computer, whatever he was doing, but uh -huh. twisting knobs and just kind of came up with, with the production of it. And then I believe I did overdub some electric guitar on there too. Yeah, to kind of yes. give it that. Yeah. I was listening to a Neil Young record at the time. I think Neil Young did a soundtrack, if I can remember this correctly. I thought he did a soundtrack for, I cannot remember the movie, where, where it was just kind of, it was him with an acoustic guitar. There were no drums on it. Yeah. Almost ambient kind of, kind of feet stuff. And, and that I kind of drew the inspiration from that. So whose, whose idea was it to, to fade out the, um, so I, I guess put echo and, uh, and dial back the, uh, the vocals uh, again with that that really introverted memory yeah that that was ben's idea i'd love to take the credit wow. for that that's great that's great the instrumentals uh or, or your album instrumentals hold some really great surprises uh, i especially loved uh your somewhat darker tale on the beatles classic norwegian but that's a fun one to play and i know that a lot of people have done it and done instrumental versions of it but why just, why did you see that see that 
darker angle to that saw? Or is, is is there is there um is there a part of of Pierce Krask that sort of gravitates towards some of those darker textures? Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely like the dark stuff. Okay. The, you know, the folk you know, the folk uh realm at least. Yeah. You know, no, I don't surround us in the death metal or anything. <laughs> Uh, which is which is artificial and arbitrary, but but yours really kind of gets to the heart of it, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I recorded that on the twelve string. Uh -huh. Twelve string, and I tuned down the twelve string to I think uh, an open C sharp chord. I think it's C. It might be C sharp or C. And there's just something about that that uh, even just the way it resonates on your lap when you're playing it is weirdly comforting to me. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch on instrumentals only because I, I think a lot of people don't appreciate instrumentals enough. And uh, and I wanted to pull that one song out of there just as a uh, just as an example uh, that this is a really it's a really a really strong textured album. Oh, thank you. I, I can tell you how I came up, how I came up with it. I was performing one night at a place in Clayton, Missouri, and it was the holiday season. And my gig went from nine to midnight. And about 11 o'clock, this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm having a holiday party, uh, but I want I want all instrumental music. Do you do you know? Do you do any instrumentals? And at the time, I didn't have any instrumental songs. Yeah, said, technically, oh, yeah. technically all, all, all music is instrumental, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I'd kind of come up with, uh, you know, some instrumental versions of, you know, like Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, and uh, this, that, and the other. I think I did Summertime, the, you know, the Gershwin mm -hmm. Brothers. And I just kind of hit a wall with about a half hour to go. So I started the, the nascent versions of these songs. And you know, committed them to memory, at least like, oh, this one's got a capo on the third fret, all oh, this one's in this tuning, and this. So at least I could kind of start and I go, okay, I can kind of fake my way through through this a little bit. So I did that, and the guy was sitting at the bar with some tall, lithe, blonde woman. And I went up and I tapped him on the shoulder, and he kind of turned and looked at me, and he turned and looked back at his date. And telling me, hey man, what'd you think? He said, what did I think of what? Oh, what'd you think? What'd you think of my instrumental set? Are you gonna book me for your party? And he looks at me, he goes, There's no party. I was just tired of hearing you sing. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I got a got a, a record out of it. So I kind of fleshed out those tunes and and uh, we recorded them. Mike Martin actually is the guy who engineered and helped me produce that.
should mention your work with Falling Martins, a band that was formed in uh, St. Louis in 2001, right? Yeah. Highway 61 Northbound Blues is this great post-punk blues-infused rockabilly honky-tonk. Can we add to that list? That showcases your harder-sounding side, um, sort of reminiscent of Camper Van Beethoven and uh, early Kentucky head on it. sides of, of Pierce Crask, what can we glean from your your musical education uh, that led you to, to such a diverse path? You know, I love the classic rock, and that particular tune, Yeah, uh, our bass player, Rich Wooten, wrote the lyrics to that. Right. And uh, then, you know, I added the melody and whatnot. The, the, that particular tune kind of comes from uh, you know, my love of Chuck Berry and then kind of the Stones as well. And there's some, uh, there, there's a little bit of, a little bit of like a, a Lightning Hopkins. I, I stole a Lightning Hopkins lick actually at the beginning. People people say it sounds like Chuck Berry at the, at the beginning, but it's actually kind of just not to get overly technical, but uh-huh. the song is in the key of E. Uh-huh. And uh, kind of a lightning uh, uh, sped up lightning Hopkins look a little bit sped up and distorted and at, at the beginning I, so I feel yeah. like you were able to to sort of crush all those into that uh that diamond sound yeah it's uh that was another one where I was really tickled with the way it came out and that that a lot of that was um rich the bass player who, who wrote the lyrics to that helps Mike Martin who's also uh, the engineer and producer, and they they really do they they sit down with the band for a lot of the mixing, mm-hmm. and I, he helps with the, uh, a lot a lot of it's his the way the way the, that he's uh, mixed it and produced it, and, mm-hmm. and that was another one that we recorded. We recorded that live, I believe. Wow, it's got it's it's a great energy to it. Yeah, we recorded that like live in the studio. I think I may have gone and overdubbed the vocals, but how necessary do you think that is to capture that innate energy in a song? How necessary is it to hear and see and and sort of follow those visual cues in in pulling together a, a song like uh, like Highway Sixty One? Well, I think if you wanted to sound like human beings are playing it together, you know, like when I was a yeah. little kid. 
music on the radio. I just that that was always my first vision was them was whoever what whoever it was. Yeah. But they were I almost like the Saturday Night Live skit with Will Ferrell with the cowbell. Yep. That's what yep. I vision. I always kind of envisioned a group of guys or a great gal, whoever in a studio just all playing together whether you know whether or not whatever record i was listening to that was the case yeah but i think it's yeah if you want it to sound like a group that's actually playing together and and i you know i've been fooled many many times but well i mean to to be to be fair you know that was how rock and roll began you know chuck berry wasn't he wasn't in, in the studio alone he was with his band the beatles played played as, as a group you know, this is before before the, you know the the multi track recording that has become so ubiquitous. Um, but I just spoke with Roger Earl from Foghat, and he said that the key to his out to to the Foghat albums, those early first Foghat albums, well, they were all in the studio together. Yeah. And they've got a great energy. Indeed. So, so, yeah. And and you know any anymore I'm going to sound like an old fuddy duddy, but you know if the shoe fits <laughs> anymore, you know you there's so many so many records I hear on the radio or whatever in passing, they all sound the same. Yeah, there's a sameness to the sound because I think when you you know you take the drums, you lay down the drums and then you use a computer program whatever it may be. Uh, you lay down the bass and then use the same program, boom, to make the bass perfect. Mm -hmm. Now the computer is your rhythm section, and it's you know there's no there's it's, you're sucking the feel out of everything. Yeah, yeah. So some so many bands just use pre uh, pre programmed rhythm. Yeah, and, it, and to me, it's really I I like a live drummer. I like, and I know there there are obvious exceptions. I know if you listen to. Some of that early J.J. Kale stuff where he's playing along to a drum machine or whatnot, you know, yeah. there's always, but, but the, yeah, if the computer is, you know, dictating your, your feel, then everything's going to sound. Computerized. Yeah. Artificial. To me, yeah. To me, but I'm just, I'm just an old, I'm an old fuddy-duddy. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't, the, the shoe fits over here too, brother. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Rick Beato. He's huh. a YouTube uh, kind of music guru, and he he does things every once in a while where he'll break down like John Bonham's tracks from. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll say he'll he'll run them through the computer system or the computer program that you know that producers use today on drums because you know those it's, it's they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. This is you know, because it's not supposed to be perfect because it's a human being playing the right. drums. You know? Right. But he'll just show you what these, you know, how how it would have destroyed what John Bottom was doing to run it through a, some kind of computer program and make the drums perfect. Well, some sometimes, and 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 uh, I I concede your point here that often drums are considered a. Um, I, I guess the spine of an album or, or or of a song, but in a lot of those songs uh, that uh, referencing John Bonham, he was following Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you you, which just negates the whole idea of 
uh, of of drums as background or as structure. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's very very musical. Foley Martins do versions of Demon and Black Label and Oasis. Which is closer to your original vision of those songs? Your solo work or the, the Falling Martins uh, version? Or is it just an exploration of, of songs that, that have that malleability? version between the two I I loved you know like when we would go to make a Falling Martins record like Rich would say oh hey I'd like to do this and this and this so you know I'm honored that he had wanted on his band's record or you know our band's yeah the exploration like when you can take the song to someone else and they say oh I hear this or I hear this and you know let's let's maybe do it this way and yeah it's it's quick and kind of bring bring something out of the tune that maybe you didn't know was there. So what was it then about the about the stripped down versions uh, of those songs or of those albums, those solo albums that you that you gravitated to? Well, the you know, the solo, the songs usually that wind up on the band albums that, that are on the solo albums came on the solo albums first. And when I'm doing a solo record. Mm-hmm. I play so many solo gigs. I'm trying to go for something that doesn't get lost in translation or lost, you know, in when someone, if someone buys a record at one of my gigs, mm-hmm. take it home, I would like them to think that, oh, this is the guy that I just heard. And, you know, Chris Smithers great at that and his producer. Yes, he is. Like, Do you take a look inside? I got nothing left to hide. Take me as I am, not what I want to be. Why we'll never know. We passed that long ago. Is and was is all we're ever going to be. He's almost shade down by the river. Feels the breath that makes him shiver. Takes the breath and makes you dive alone. But the dead don't get yeah just like no matter if there's a band on there if it's solo it's you don't feel like you've been slighted or duped mm-hmm. in any way you know you can it's just like oh hey this is him this is oh this is him with his band this is, sounds great not like what's all this you know <laughs> all this extra crap on here well like i said earlier i th- these songs work 
so well with just just guitar, maybe a harmonica or maybe a, a layering of guitars a little bit, um, but but still very very simple. I didn't even notice how I was tapping along. My my foot was tapping along. I was tapping on the table as I was listening. I really didn't miss any of that extra gear. Yeah, that that that's what I'm going for, you know. And if something was added on there, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't want you to think like that it destroyed the song either, you know. Yeah. That malleability you're kind of talking about. Is, yeah, that's when uh, an art, uh, the solo, or not the solo, but the acoustic EP that we did, the five-song EP, the blue mm-hmm. one with the girl on it. Uh, a guy named Scott Bryan produced that. And Scott, actually a uh, uh, brilliant musician, he was actually in Cheryl Crow's band um, in the early 90s. And uh, Yeah, we recorded it, and he set up a piece of plywood in his studio and put some microphones on me and my guitar, and we recorded, I think we recorded the whole record in two days. What do you learn from people like that? When you, when you meet, when you meet music, musicians that have played with, with, uh, other artists like Cheryl Crow or just other bands or other starters, artists in general? Well, that they're, you know, sometimes I think if we hear about these people and don't actually meet them, even if, oh, well, this guy worked with so-and-so and so-and-so, we, we do cast them in a different light. But there's people, you know, people that love music and like to create music. And and the, so the, the, ta- the takeaway is, I, I think we, we can come at it from this way. Uh, going into this new album, which was produced here in Chicago, uh, as we said earlier, by producer and musician Ellis Clark, you've added a full ba- band behind these songs. The first time for, for you as a solo artist. What lessons working with a collaborative ensemble were carried over to to the river? now Yeah, whose secrets are you telling now Well, I know you've been around You've seen some things You turned some keys, yeah, you pulled some strings, but whose secrets are you telling now Well, is to be open to other people's ideas and to listen to what uh, try to, to listen to what they may suggest. Mm-hmm. To to you know stay loose in in the studio. Try to and and play as if you're playing at a gig, kind of with that that kind of that same kind of feel. You know, I think a lot of people, especially when they first start recording, they might you know, play gigs for, and, and it's different now because, right, because we can record, you can make a record on your phone. Mm-hmm. And I think that happened too when Folly Martins made their first record. We, we've been playing together for about five years and I've been playing and singing a certain way, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then 
suddenly we're in the studio. I'm like, oh, now's my chance. You know, like you take this whole different. Now I'll do something completely different because now, now, now it means something. Whereas if I would have just just been myself, it probably would have would have sounded better. And that's kind of what I learned working with the band is just kind of get loose, listen to other people's suggestions. You know, I I would uh, as you're as you're playing, you're 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 as much reacting to the moment as just one of the other musicians, right? Right, right, necessarily yeah. the composer. Right, yeah, yeah. That's that was uh, kind of one of the things I didn't notice uh, when we made this. Is kind of like the songs. We were all kind of focused on the song and what we could do with the song, and not really worried about who where where it came from. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I've off well, I've learned kind of working in the studio too that if you're telling me something's not working, that's fine. But if you're telling me something that something won't work, then we've got a, a problem. Be, yes. You know, it's like, you know, like, hey, let's do let's do this. Oh, let's run the twelve string through an electric guitar. That won't work. <laughs> and pretty often you'd be able to hear it. what isn't working. Right. Let's do it. And then if it's not working, feel free to tell me. Yeah. Just just a piece, you know. So I I, w- I would deviate a little bit from uh, from the, the list of influences in my earlier introduction. I found hints of, of Charlie Rich in your music, Peter Case, Lyle Lovett. And, and in the opening track, is anybody out there with an opening John Cougar Mellencamp would have been proud of? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is awfully Mellencampy. I didn't, I, I didn't really realize it until, until like it kind of came out. And yeah, it's, it's uh it's awfully Mellencampy, and and I I like I like John Mellencamp. So Indeed. I, so I that's that's a compliment to me. Is there anybody out there? Anyone at all? Anybody out there that can hear me calling? Is there anybody out there? Anywhere? Anybody out there that can answer my prayer? Here I am, trapped alone on the inside. No he did a great interview with, uh, well, he's done it a couple uh, recently on Steve Earle's show. Uh-huh. And uh, then he, on one of Bill Maher's podcasts, he sat down with Bill Maher for about an hour or so. Yeah, he's he's a pistol. But yeah, that that uh, that op- opening riff, I thought, oh man, that, that sounds, that's Mellencampy. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing, nothing yeah. at all. As I said, I, I love the album as a tragic love story. And I found it interesting when I pointed that out to several people that it jumped right out of them. And I, I, I might have asked you this earlier. I'm curious how you decided on the pacing and placement of the album, if that's, that story arc was was intentional or organic. I, I, I believe I believe you you said organic, right? Yes. Yeah. On the, on the uh, new album? Yeah. 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 
the you know it kind of went just by feel. We we recorded recorded all the songs, and I'm I'm actually holding it here right now, kind of looking at the uh, the order we recorded. Well, it's not exactly in the order that we recorded, but it's pretty darn close. And, uh, and then yeah, and then Ellis Ellis put the sequencing together. He, and he just just changed a few. I think he just changed a few tunes. We always knew that Rising River was going to be the the last one. Anybody out there was going to be the first one, and and kind of they all fell in from there. I don't know if you could say it was a mixture of organic and intentional, but yeah. just you, you went you intentionally went by feel. You know, it was <laughs> organic if that's a word, but you, if that's a you you mentioned uh, Rising River. I want to I want to get to that song. Which seems like a metaphor, seems like a metaphor for maybe loneliness uh, and how the world seems much more ominous without a partner. Um, what was, where were you when you were singing that, or when you were when you were writing that song, or when you thought of that song? very literal actually the the inspiration is so my wife and i live in in skokie and i don't know if you're familiar with the skokie area we we're almost neighbors brother we're in rogers oh yeah oh wonderful wonderful yeah and i don't so we moved here in uh my wife and i moved to chicago in 2020 mm-hmm we, we bought our, our house here in Skokie in 2021. And my wife is from, uh, she's from Minneapolis. She's from Minnesota. I'm from St. Louis. And neither of us knew what a standpipe was. And I don't know if you remember, there was a, a day in June of 2021, if you, if, if you probably not, but we got something like six inches of rain in an hour. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And the tornado sirens went off, and it was all go to your basement, this, that, and the other. So my wife and Katz and I are sitting in our basement with my guitars, which are down there. And suddenly we hear this this rushing water coming out of the... Oh, God. And my wife says, you know, that the sewer's back and something's going on. And I said, ah, just relax, darling. Ain't, ain't, nothing, ain't nothing to worry about. And it kept coming, and it kept coming. I said, ah, just grab this broom, and I'll sweep it into the floor drain that's what's going on it's coming from i thought it was coming seeping in from the walls at first <laughs> not realizing that it was coming from the floor drain and i'm just and it was about over my ankles at the point where i said 
and this is a somewhat censored version, I said, oh, goodness gracious, why don't we take these guitars upstairs <laughs> before? And uh, so the water kept coming and coming and coming. And we've got all my guitars upstairs and the cats went upstairs and everything was was just, you know, ruined in the basement. Yeah. They, whoever sold the place kind of gave it the flipper treatment down there and they put some carpet and drywall and all that. Aww. We had no clue what a standpipe was. So we, we quickly learned, but we actually had to get a, uh, per the insurance company, get a, a pump installed in our front You're yard. Learning the hard way, man. Oh yeah. So I was kind of lamenting that and I was kind of thinking of, man, what if, you know, I'm being from St. Louis. I, we've dealt, I've dealt with a couple of floods, a flood of 93. Indeed, yeah. And I thought, man, what if I didn't have a, an upstairs to go to? What if I didn't have all these things that I'm so very fortunate to have, you know? Uh -huh. What if I had a little shack by the river? And that was kind of the impetus for it. And then I got to thinking, you know, and trying to put myself in other places too is like wow this could be a metaphor for so many things and kind of wrote the song in a very literal you know rivers right outside my door trying to come inside yeah just could be that could be anything right that could be trouble on the horizon that could be big <laughs> stackability hey that could be loneliness that could be anything you know and then you know let the rising river take me home you know what will that can be my name. However you want to frame it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Nobody left to blame. Um, are you speaking to someone or is it about self-recrimination? What will you do? All the people you thought you'd never need are gone And now you're picking up speed Heading over the cliff with no way to get off of the train What happens when there's nobody left to blame? What will you do? Turn on the lights, but you're still looking for a fight And anyone with any sense has already called it a night Locked all the doors, and you can't get Well, you know, it started off uh, speaking to someone And I try not to get terribly, you know, uh, political Uh-huh You know, I try to keep the uh, some amb ambiguity, right? Yep. But I started off, you know, addressing someone like, you know, what's what's going to happen when it all hits the fan, and I guess we'll still see. Uh, but that, but then it, it did turn into more of a self, you know, reflecting on myself and kind of and my former self, mm -hmm. you know, because that's uh, we, you know, when I was when I was drinking. There's always somebody else to blame, you know. There's always somebody there's, else to blame. Yep. Yeah. Never my fault. Oh, this cop's got it in for me. Oh, this, this, that, and the other. Oh, this this venue. Oh, this one waitress at this one venue hates me. Well, maybe it was because you you know passed out on the bar during your set break. 
you know, and so yeah, it, it turned into that. It started with kind of a, a just a general political kind of mm-hmm. thing about a, a certain political figure who <laughs> who's bound to get in trouble at some point for his actions. And and, and we'll we'll leave we'll leave that who to people's imaginations. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then, then you brighten things from there, um, lyrically and musically, the sparkle and shine. But that that exuberance and and hubris, uh, our over eager excitement uh, at new love, right? Yeah, and that's actually the only cover song on the record, and that's a that's a Steve Earle tune. Uh huh. Everyone knows she's mine She blesses all that she sees Toss of her hair and kiss on the breeze She don't love no one but me I can't believe she's mine Shimmering she moves The sunlight all around her and even when she's blue The silver clouds and Ellis, when he came out to hear me play the songs, uh, I was at the Celtic Knot in Evanston, and uh, he said, man, play, okay, Michael Teach had introduced us. I don't know if you know Michael. I do know Michael, yeah. Michael, Michael said to Ellis, hey, go hear this guy, and maybe you guys can make a record. And so I played him the songs that I had for the album, and then he goes, well, let's put a cover on there, too. You got any covers? And so I played him a handful of cover tunes. And yeah, we uh, Sparkle and Shine, which is a Steve Earle song. He said, man, I think that'll fit in nicely. I mean, kind of a palate cleanser. Just, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it really is, and it it comes out comes out as one of those one of those really bright moments on, on the album. There is so much to this album, and I wish we could go through it track by track. But I hope people will discover um, this album for themselves, hopefully from from this interview. But let me ask you about one more song, My Baby Is Sleeping, that takes us to this deep, dark place. In the lyric, you reflect my baby from Sparkle and Shine, but it's in, a, in, in an entirely new space. My baby is sleeping She just closed her eyes No more she weeping So softly she sighs And off in the distance I hear the moan of the train All my pain is light dancing Making diamonds from rain my baby is sleeping She can't hear a thing I'm the one weeping Softly I sing 
I'll connect it with this. You take us from that darkness into this upswelling instrumental uh, interlude with uh, Squire, S-Q-Y. Yes, yes, Squire, Squire yeah. That uh, well, My Baby is Sleeping, I wrote during the pandemic. Huh? And that was another thing that started out quite literally. I was looking at my sleeping cat and uh, train came through. We were living in Evanston at the time. Yep. And a train came through and I thought, oh, okay. And I, and I just kind of, a stream of consciousness thing. And I thought, well, this could be another uh, situation where, you know, the train could be a, a metaphor for, for, for whatever. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and it kind of took it from there. And what was really cool, it was kind of one of these accidental things. It's uh, so when the, as I was writing it, the, uh, first verse it's raining outside and then at the end you know after the metamorphosis if you will or the it's snowing outside so i thought that was kind of that that just kind of happened not accidentally but it kind of drew it, it presented itself as i was writing the song so I, but, but I squire was, feels like um feels like an addendum to that song was that intentional that that was I think once we got them all together, but it wasn't in the writing process. Okay. But okay. yeah, they're both the same key, and they, yeah, they, uh, yeah, you've got one that's dark, and then one that's really a toe tapper, and one that, and I'll say that sometimes in the in my live shows, like uh -huh. uh, if I play a particularly depressing song, I'll I'll do an instrumental afterwards just because you know that way you don't have to hear any more depressing stuff come out of my mouth <laughs> those songs work so well together i can't i can't listen to one without the other oh that's that's uh that's great i'm 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 tickled to hear that uh, are you uh do you, do you have any any dates coming up here going through the holidays or in oh. the year oh do i ever well let's just see here in the month of december I will be actually Tuesday, December 12th at Montrose Saloon at 7.30. Right in my neighborhood, man. Opening up for Greg Jacks. Okay. So I'll be playing from 7.30 to late 30. And I believe Ellis, the producer here, will be joining me on the keys. Wow. And Thursday, December 14th, I'll be at Girl in the Park at 6.30. Mm -hmm. And then more of a restaurant kind of gig. And then Friday the 15th, I'll be at Olive Black, which is a martini bar in Richmond, Illinois, about an hour, hour-ish north of the city. So then folks can, can get that off your, your website, right? PierceCrash.com? Yeah. Yep, and then they can find me on Bandcamp as well if they would like to buy the, the vinyl album. Indeed, and, and I, I will post links to that uh, in the notes below here. So let me just do this here very quickly. The latest album by Pierce Krask, a true American original, is Rising River. Uh, I'll post links to piercekrask.bandcamp.com slash album slash rising dash river. You don't have to write that down. I'll post it. You can click on it below. Uh, and, uh, and the website is piercekrask.com. I'll also post links to that. Uh, I'm going to uh, to close with Butterfly, this ode 
uh, at least in my in my view, from my perspective, is self-worth. Would you like to set up that song a little bit for us, uh, Pierce? Yeah, this actually was co-written with my niece when oh. she was when she was seven years old. Oh, no she, kidding. Yeah, she uh, had come from, she lives in Portland, or Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. But uh, we had convened in Chicago for a family trip. And we went to the uh, nature museum and she went to the butterfly house. We all went to the butterfly house. And when we got back to uh, our Airbnb, she wanted to write a song about a butterfly. So she came up with quite, quite a few of the word, the opening, the, the tardest part, actually, the opening lines of the verses she came up with. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, a, a rising, a rising lyrical and musical talent. Yes, yes. She also has a song about a pretzel that's not quite as deep, but uh, yeah. And then you but know, delicious, I, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. So we uh, and then we I fleshed it out at you know home, but uh, yeah, she came up with the uh, the, the the lines, the opening lines of uh, each of the verses, and uh, and we filled it in from there. And another one of those simple, uh, simple uh, melody, simple, you know. That's brilliant. Verse. Oh, thank you very much. I, I love that. That just that just put that just put a shine on this whole this whole piece. Sit tight there for just a second, if you would please. I'd like to thank Pierce Crass and all of you who listened. Please feel free to share this program. And links to Pierce Crass's music are in the notes below. If you enjoy this program, please click the free. You have to say free. Uh, subscribe button. Otherwise, people think we're asking for money uh, to receive updates about future programs. Pierce Crass, thank you, brother. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm just a caterpillar munching on a leaf. But there's one thing that I believe. Said I'll be beautiful someday. And I will fly away. Butterfly today 
opened my wings and I flew away But there's one thing I got wrong Cause I've been beautiful all along There's one thing I got wrong Cause I've been beautiful all along 